probably one of the first reasons why I wanted to do science was uh, by watching, for example, Jurassic Park. I mean, at some point I wanted to be a paleontologist. Um, <laughs> of course, everyone and, has. Yeah, yeah, Who hasn't wanted? wanted? The science Hello and welcome. And if you're familiar with the podcast already, welcome back. This is the Science Basement Podcast, a podcast for people who love or want to learn more about all things science. I'm your new host, Giuliano, and this is the very first episode of this new season. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we wanted this episode to be kind of a rite of passage kind of thing. So we decided to interview the very hosts of the previous episodes of this very podcast. Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephanie. How are you? Hi. We are great. And by the way, it's, it's great to hear Erica. <laughs> my co-host where are you guys right now okay i i'll start uh i'm actually in california now i moved quite far and stephanie okay, Steph, I, where are you i stayed in helsinki so i, I finished my phd and i'm uh, continuing here in the institute of atmospheric science in helsinki so you girls for like what 26 episodes you interviewed phd students and young scientists in general asking them about their work and what they usually do in their studies so now you are on the other side of the microphone this time would you like to tell us what you what you're doing at the moment erica do you want to start Yes, yeah, sure. So as I said, I moved to California. Um, I got a fellowship uh, from NASA, uh, the fellowship to work on space weather between Earth and Mars. And uh, space weather is um, the collect a collective uh, term to describe all the phenomena and effects uh, that come from the sun and the solar activity. So I basically study how, for example, solar storms and solar radiation arrive to Earth and then and then move on to Mars. Why? So why should like why do, do humans need to care about how the radiation arrives to Mars? And um, so, for example, at Earth, uh, we're interested in uh, predicting and knowing uh, when when something. Um, some increased activity arise from the sun because, for example, um, solar storms uh, can uh, damage satellites in orbit. Uh, the strongest ones can damage power grids. Uh, and there are all these kind of damages uh, to technology, but not really to us um, as humans on Earth. Okay, there, there are um, risks for astronauts in orbit. So for example, the astronauts on the International Space Station have to be um, screened and shielded uh, a bit more, but there are not really problems for us on Earth. But on the other hand, if you are on the way to Mars, so if you are, you know, on a spacecraft uh, traveling from Earth to Mars, then that As becomes a I big mean, problem. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> because there is a lot of radiation. Uh, and actually, uh, it's also important to know uh, what's going on on Mars itself, because uh, contrary to Earth, Mars is not very much naturally protected from, from the activity of the sun. So uh, our planet is um, surrounded by a magnetic bubble uh, that protects us from most of the um, magnetic fields and things coming and radiation coming from the sun, but Mars has a much, much 
uh, weaker magnetic protection. So it's very important to know exactly what the solar activity will be also to protect future astronauts there. So when you mentioned that these, these radiation can affect our techno like technology like satellites and stuff, would then affect, would they then affect our technology, meaning like, I don't know, internet or phone calls? Is there, would there be any actually, any actual symptom of the damage to the technology that would then affect humans? Or maybe not? Uh, in, uh, in which sense? Like you said that it doesn't affect our, us humans, but it would affect our technology. So you mentioned satellites and stuff. And if, I mean, I'm no expert, but as far as I understand, satellites are quite involved in, you know, our technology of communication. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. So I, I meant that it doesn't affect us as humans, meaning uh, from, a, from a health perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the health problems would be only for astronauts on orbit, mm -hmm. which... Yeah, of course, it's a it's a big thing and it's a big problem because we have had constant presence uh, uh, in space at the International Space Station for at least twenty years now. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have always now, had someone in orbit. Okay. <laughs> um, and also there could be some increased radiation for actually for um, people who are on polar flights. So if you know, for example, that there is a very strong um, um, solar storm incoming, you could deviate the flight away from the and 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 fly a bit closer to the equator because a lot of the uh, energy and currents from the sun are all concentrated at the poles, and that's why we have northern lights that's or right. southern lights, auroras. Aurora, aurora borealis. Exactly. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Stephanie, what about you? What are you doing at the moment? Hi, so what I'm doing, I have to say, I'm not doing research anymore exactly. So I'm a research and communications coordinator for the same institute from which I graduated. Um, I'll just briefly though tell you what I was doing because it's anyway related to what uh, the projects I'm still coordinating anyway. So what we were doing was um, we're aerosol scientists. Um, okay. And the thing about aerosols is that they're extremely important and, and a hot topic right now, but most people don't know about them. So we were constantly hearing about global warming for obvious reasons, um, climate change. But um, what not, uh, not all of us know is that a counter effect to that global warming is actually being produced by aerosols and their uh, relationship with clouds. And now aerosols is not just a spray, you know, spray can to do urban art. Um, it's actually uh, particles that are either liquid or solid, and they're just floating in the air. So right now in the air we're breathing, of course, there's gas molecules like nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide and all those other greenhouse gases. Um, but there's also actual nanometer and above particles. So they're clustered molecules that actually form a little ball um, floating around. So I guess you can imagine that these are related to air quality. So air quality and climate are actually linked the two very important topics right now because they are affecting millions of people's lives. So, the, so what we're doing is these particles, um, the concentration varies depending on where you are. But just to give you an example, if you had a sugar cube, which we think of as a cubic centimeter, the concentration of particles in that sugar cube, um, right now where I am in Finland, in Helsinki, in a Helsinki 
some area that's not directly behind cars, but in a sort of normal screen in Helsinki, you might find around 5,000 particles would fit in that cubic centimeter. And if we were in a, for example, in a very clean area in the Arctic during a clean epoch, of course, just a footnote, a lot of uh, pollution goes into the Arctic. Um, but in a clean day or in Antarctica, for example, in the South Pole, where, where there is very, very few uh, human activity, then you would find, for example, 10, 10 particles, um, 50 particles compared to the 5,000 in Helsinki. Of course, take that same sugar cube to uh, Beijing or Shanghai during a polluted episode and you have 100,000 particles. So it's a crazy amount of difference um, of amount of particles that we have. Um, usually when you hear about air quality, you're thinking about PM, PM 2.5, PM 10. Um, and what that, that's looking at, it's looking at the same particles, but it's looking at the mass of 2.5 microns or 10 microns respectively. Um, so the difference is that a mass of course focuses or not, not gives you a better idea of the of the massive particles, of course, because they are the heavier ones. So those are bigger particles in the micron size that really influence the number of PM two point five or PM ten. But this little, um, but the concentration of of particles, the number of them, usually are concentrated on the smaller sized ones. So even smaller than this uh, ten microns. Um, so a couple of a couple of nanometers, a couple of hundred nanometers. So what's interesting about this tiny nanometer particles is that they're influencing air quality because they get into your lungs and they can even pass in through the alveoli and going into your bloodstream. So if you wanna get toxic elements from the air into your brain, breathe them in. And that's, uh, that's one way, which is terrible. Um, but also these little particles, they can continue to grow. And what they do is they are basically seeds from which clouds can form. So you can't really get clouds without particles. So, so yes, if you are thinking about a cloud, yes. These particles are the seeds for the clouds. We exactly. wouldn't have clouds if it wasn't for these particles. Yes. What are these oh. particles made of? I understand they're different, but what are yes. they made of? Well, that's the, that's a great question because that's what we're looking at. Um, just to sort of clarify about the about the clouds, we actually call them cloud condensation nuclei because they're the nucleus of what you can form as a cloud. So a cloud would not just be fluffy water droplets. The water needs a little place to, on, onto which to condense. It needs a surface. So, so this yes. basically, these particles are serving as sort of a, uh, yeah, the surface on which the cloud can easily then uh, condense during, you know, considering the temperature and pressure conditions that we have in the atmosphere. Um, so, what, what's, so what particles are these? Just by the way, um, as a little, another kind of, uh, trivia fact that is very interesting. You can basically find a lot of things in clouds, including bacteria. What? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. There are bacterias in the clouds. Yes. Well, it would be an aerosol because it's a particle that's floating in the air, right? So it's an aerosol. That makes sense, yes. So basically any surface, right? But when we're looking at aerosols, the ones that we're well, mostly working on at the, at the Institute and sort of worldwide is, um, well, we have, you have natural produced aerosols and you have uh, anthropogenically or, or sort of, uh, they, they condense in the air. So, so uh, a ready-made aerosol, for example, is dust. So you okay. see dust floating around from your, if you have a lamp, you'll see the dust floating yeah. around. So that's yeah, yeah. it. Um, two of the big natural aerosols are sand. And which you can actually see, for example, if you're in Europe, you get a, a layer of sand sometimes coming from the Sahara, from the Sahara Desert. Um, the other one is salt. 
So you can smell the salt when you're in the beach. It's an aerosol. Right, so yes. actually the salt, oh. yeah. So waves, for example, and the wind is, is, is they're picking them up and they're throwing them up in the air, um, among other things. So also bits of algae and all this chemical, all these organic compounds are being thrown up into the air. But salt is a big one. So, so those are two big, big aerosols. And of course, for example, volcanoes, you know, ash and all these bits that, that the volcano is throwing. So those are very obvious. Um, and Poland, for example, another big um, aerosol that's flowing around. But then you can also form aerosols out of thin air. And the way to do that is basically Literally. you actually take, yes. So you condense, well, it's not so thin, I guess. because Well, it is thin because the concentrations are very small, but um, you get um, gases from the air that you, they condense to form particles. So you're changing, going from a gas phase, you're going to a liquid or solid phase. Um, and you need certain conditions, of course. So, so, so when you're asked, what are they made of? Well, we're trying to exactly point out what do you need to make these particles? You, so basically you need an acid and a base to cluster together, stabilize this cluster and then allow it to grow as opposed to evaporate back into a gas. So we're looking at those conditions. When is it right so that that cluster will not break up and will actually want to condense? Um, organics are a big thing too. So that's smell of the forest. Those are organic compounds that play a big role in forming this, this, um, these particles. And what's more, more interesting is everywhere in the world, you will make particles. So even if you're in Antarctica with a very, very clean air with only 10 particles per cubic centimeter, you will form uh, particles. And if you're in Shanghai, with very polluted conditions, you will form particles. Um, so we're trying to understand, but you know, they're completely different conditions. You have minus 30, 30 degrees in one, completely clean air. What, what organic, you know, what sources do you have there? You have algae, do you have, you know, this open sea, all of this kind of stuff. And then you have a, a mega city with all these um, vehicles and all these fossil fuel chemicals going into the air, um, fertilizers, you know, ammonia from fertilizers, acids from all these fossil fuels. Uh, but you have completely different conditions. So it's so interesting to be analyzing these different uh, places on earth and seeing what, what's similar. And then when they differ, how do you still manage to form these particles? So that's what we're doing. So anyway, I was doing that. I was doing that during, during my PhD and now I'm not because now I'm more in coordination, but that's what, um, but I'm still sort of involved in that kind of research area anyway. Wow. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, well, I mean, given that, you know, how easy it was for both of you to, to explain heavily complex matters, it's quite obvious that you both are quite active in, in science communication. Erika, I believe you are a kind of a science Twitter machine. Am I correct? <laughs> and you, Stephanie, have been giving, you know, talks and organize the climate change themed street art display here in Helsinki. Am I right? So yes. what got you both into science communication? I mean, both of you, you were doing, you know, you're both physicists from, by training, am I correct? So what yes. got you into communicating science? I already talked, you go. Oh, but I also talked. We can, we can invert. <laughs> yeah, can invert. that you all talk, yes. <laughs> we can invert the order. Oh, I'll say, Stephanie, you start this time. Okay. Well, I think what, what got me starting science communication, I have to say the, the Probably one of the first reasons why I wanted to do science was uh, by watching, for example, Jurassic Park. I mean, at some point I wanted to be a paleontologist. <laughs> of um, course, everyone has. Yeah, yeah who hasn't wanted? Yeah, well, it's a great book. Also, Michael Crichton is great. Um, and then, of course, Jules Verne, for example. So, so they're, they're, they, they put science as such a beautiful... I love storytelling with, with science. 
Um, but then again, for example, watching The Matrix, I wanted to study uh, neuroscience at some point as well. So it's, I like putting science in, in contexts that are more about stories or, or some art or just in, in where you not in academia, so outside the academia. And for some reason, it just happened. I mean, I love writing since I was young, but it just happened that in my institute, because we're such a large group, we're like 200 people there, um, we, we needed to find ways to communicate internally better. So I proposed doing uh, a, a newsletter for our division. So what that meant was that I was interviewing my colleagues. So I started interviewing them to write articles about what they were working on so that we would know what each other, you know, the team were doing. And somehow that started leading into me being more involved in communicating science. And then, uh, then, then came the, um, a, a TED talk where um, one of the science basement uh, girls was actually organizing it. And I, um, this is before I knew about the science basement and I, I was extremely lucky that they wanted to put me in their TED talk. Um, so from then I, I met the science basement and then I met Erica and she was like, I want to do a podcast. And I was like, I, I don't even listen to podcasts. I don't know anything about podcasts. Yes, let's do it. Um, and that was awesome. Um, for me, I, I think that it's just that I am such a science nerd myself that in my free time, I do read about like pop science, about things that I'm not an expert in all the time. Uh, so for example, like lately I've been reading about like cosmology and like, okay, I do read a lot of, uh, and watch videos about a lot of space stuff. So, I mean, that's very much <laughs> your topic, isn't it? Yes. I mean, honestly, big... that's a bit cheating though. But, no, but I mean, you think that like, okay, she knows everything about space. No, I mean, I know a bit about what's going on in the solar system but then you go to galaxies black holes and like all this kind of stuff i mean i i know as much as anyone else who is not in that field i mean okay um i i've had a bit of introduction on these topics when i was an undergrad but apart from that then i haven't touched them anymore um so i guess that since i like uh, enjoying uh, science communication content all the time then maybe that's why I wanted to do my part, let's say. Um, but yeah, but then I started, yeah, through through the science basement, um, which which has been a great platform. And that's how I met Steph. And here is actually when the follow-up question arrives. So when did you start the show? I mean, the podcast. And why? did you feel the need of starting a science basement podcast? And if I may ask, why at one point you stopped hosting it? Um, so we started in November 2017, I believe. And then we went on until January 2019, I think. Um, and 2019 is the year we both uh, got our PhD so yeah. it's pretty <laughs> so it's pretty uh, straightforward uh, that we had to stop because we had to graduate fair enough <laughs> we had to start writing our, yeah. yeah we had to start writing our PhD thesis or maybe we just stopped because we interviewed Giuliano since he was the last guest we ever had like oh you know we just reached the worst we could possibly reach fair enough I yeah we were like, yeah like, time, time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> time to give up like timings are actually pretty um, quick and, and quickly paced and strict uh, 
with the graduation like to-do list. So we we were really we went really down on the writing for a couple months. Yeah. And then and then all the, the all the bureaucracy that followed. And then after that I had to leave. You had to leave for NASA. I mean, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I I'm actually at the University of California Berkeley and employed by the University Corporation for Atmospheric Research which is in Colorado. It's a very weird thing of <laughs> uh, but yeah i am not at nasa okay sorry for the mistake but but still re- regarding why we stopped it um i mean we, we were both graduating and we both had to focus on our thesis because of course doing a thesis is, is a lot of work but i, I just want to say this in case anybody wants to do some sort of science communication project because i have heard a lot of young or early career scientists saying i wish i could do more science communication but i'm but I don't know how to, or whether I can do it in parallel to our PhDs. And we, we managed. Um, so if we can do it, you know, anybody can. It, 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 of course, at some point you will have to, for example, finish your PhD and, and then it's okay to stop. But I think it has been absolutely valuable the time that we did do it um, for us and for the other early careers that were invited because we both learned so much about, not just about communicating, but about being better scientists, I think. Because when, you, when you're learning to ask questions about how do you do science, and practices about sciences, because we also interviewed uh, those that were outside the University of Helsinki. So it's, it's a, you become a better scientist, I think, but by discussing research and how you do research and so on. So I definitely recommend it for anyone. Um, and you know, it, even if you, you know you won't be able to do it forever, even a year, for example, of doing podcasts would be great anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, and this, as Stephanie said, um, that she said, okay, if we can do it, then anyone can. Well, actually, yes. And and another important thing is that uh, we are doing this, this out of our personal interest to communicate science. So it doesn't have to be um, something that you're forced to do. So at some point we had to prioritize our PhDs and that's okay. Absolutely. So who came with the idea of, of a podcast? I think that someone in the science basement made a list of possible projects uh, and the podcast was in there. And then I read it and I was like, sure. I just, have then- to say, I just have to say though, I remember being, it was summer, we were having a, 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 some sort of snack and there was wine involved. And then Erica saying, let's, <laughs> That's I the need, beginning let's of every great story. There <laughs> was saying, wine involved. Sure, <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yes, I'll join you. Like, I've never done a podcast. Let's do this with uh, together with Ekaterina from the Science Union as well. It was over wine, which was actually, we were actually planning, we're thinking, how do we make science uh, in a more fun way? And, and drinking during, <laughs> during the podcast was one of the options. At the end, of course, we ended up including um, a, a game. So we, we do this uh, short game at the end of our episodes. But, but there was, uh, we were just trying to be creative. I'm quite offended. I don't remember being offered a drink when I was interviewed. Yeah, no, no, but the, the drink of choice has been coffee. Fair enough. I understand. We need to keep professionality, at least uh, sort of appearance <laughs> of it. So, of course, now um, a new team has taken over the project. Um, thank you for creating it. Uh, so now, right, as in, in the position of the, the funders of the project, what what would you hope now for the future of a show? It's a tough one. <laughs> well, for first of all, uh, I, I'm, we both hope that you guys 
uh, are, are going to have a great time because that's the important at the end of the day. And uh, that you, as, as we did when we started the, the original uh, part of the show, we, we hope that you give the chance to many young scientists to talk about their, their work and, and put it out there. That's exactly our plan. Stay tuned. <laughs> From my perspective, I think, um, again, what I love about uh, learning about different research is how research practices, how they do it. And I think it'd be great um, if you could also include as many different uh, sciences um, or research fields as possible. Um, that's exactly the plan. Then that's great. I, can't, I, can't, I can't wait for it then, but definitely have fun. I mean, and, and then be, 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 um, be okay in being uh, uh, uncomfortable at the beginning and being, um, you know, not being an expert yet. And I don't mean that you're not. Um, I just mean that because you're starting it and this is something we kept, or at least I personally keep feeling like, am I good enough to, to put this out there? So just be comfortable saying I'm learning. It's a process where we're learning, but we're doing it out of, you know, our, it's a good, I have a good motivation, which is I really want to share science and I want to give a platform to others to share science. So as long as, of course, you're keeping your, your science um, accurate. Other than that, everything else is a learning process and, and that's great. Do you have any tip for the new Science Basement podcast team or for anyone who wants to start specifically this kind of thing, like a science-themed podcast? Do you have any tip for them? My tip is do it because you will, <laughs> you will doubt. I mean, you will doubt a lot. Like, should I do it? Am I going to be good enough? Should, just do it. Go just for it. it. Yeah, just go for it. it. Go for it. Just get a mic. You will find free resources online to, to, you know, programs, whatever. There's no um, excuse or there's no thing, nothing stopping you except your own perhaps fear or doubt. So just do it. Or oh, oh, your time. I mean, it, it, it is an activity that takes quite some time. Uh, so as far as I understood, Julian, in this new, new revamped version of the podcast, you're going to be a much bigger team than Stephanie and I were because before it was only the two of us. So I'm sure that that will dilute the work quite much, which is good. That's exactly the plan. Uh, I mean, as, as you girls were when you were doing the podcast, uh, we are all PhD students. So of course, in order you know, to do it in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a time schedule that would be pleasant and fun and not become a burden, uh, we, 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 you know, we, made, you know, we made sure that we were a specific, a certain amount of people uh, we have three editors so far, four different hosts, and uh, we, you know, the plan is to distribute the, the load of work. So they just keeps being fun and just not become a, a burden because, you know, we have our own stuff to do. Yeah, that's great. Now, um, a question that I'm very looking forward to ask you. Mm -hmm. Take your times. And I'm not going to cut any of the silence before the answer. Oh, no. If you were to become the world's minister of science, I actually wanted to ask if you were to become the queen of science, but you know, I just wanted to keep it low. Like, right, okay, we, we might have a democracy of the I world. Just, I have to say, day. minister sounds better just because it's meritocracy. Like a minister, you you will earn the title, as opposed to queen, you will just inherit it. So I'm very that's happy a, to be called minister. That's a very good point. That, that's exactly uh, what I. Yeah, that's what I thought. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to become 
the world's minister of science, the world's minister of science, what would you do during the first year? Okay, being uh, now in the system of so-called soft money, which is where you you have a position, but you are not granted uh, a salary. So you have to keep applying for grants and grants all the time, constantly. Yeah, that's, that, that's science for our listeners. Yes. That's so, how science works. That's how it works. So obviously the first thing would be, for me would be just funding, a, a lot more funding just available to scientists so that we can actually spend most of our time doing science rather than looking for grants to do science? Um, for me, I think I would, I would say um, basically uh, setting up forums, or not forums really, because that sounds too formal. Setting up, uh, and, and playgrounds will sound too, too uh, laid back, but, but in a way, setting up um, spaces where scientists can really work with other members of society. Um, there are such things already. I mean, of course, there are. Uh, for example, I was in, in, in Lapland last year, and there um, we were talking to one of the uh, Lapish um, uh, municipalities. And what they do, the the, the major of that uh, place, what, what he was doing, for example, is he has an open day where people can, like citizens, can join and listen to what the propositions of the municipality are, and they can give their comments or ask questions. So something like that, but with, with involving scientists as well. And I know it sounds a bit cliche of, of, of we need more uh, science in, for example, decision making and so on. But you know, when I've when I've worked with projects that are involve art, for example, and and specifically you mentioned the street art, we have done a, a, a urban art mural in the street, and the point was that I would have my colleagues and I, and myself there with the kids or families coming to to help us spray paint cool stuff on the walls, and yet people were mostly asking questions from the artist. So there's a so it, it was surprising because climate, you know, it was a climate wall. Climate is a big thing affecting everyone. And yet there was a disconnect or, or a certain uh, barrier that the people felt between the scientists and, and they just felt more approach, like that the artist was most, more approachable, I guess, simply because, you know, they, they were asking them more questions. So definitely, this is, I think this is really, I, I've experienced it as a problem. And, and for scientists themselves, I think, um, for example, what uh, Erica was saying about her, her choice of literature, that she's not an expert in the other um, cosmology or so on. Sure, I mean, we, we are really specialized now. We do amazing research that's so specific, but then we lose, we lose the joy of learning science in general, um, of being more open to, to, to just being curious about understanding nature, right? Which is why we're doing, we're natural scientists. So in, in general, I, I would just want us to be more like a, you know, every almost every city has a, a science museum, and it, they're there for a reason. People like them; it's fun. It's it's a touch and play and see what happens and and ask and wonder what happens. So this is what I would like to promote. If I was minister of the world, I would be like, science museums everywhere open. People, scientists, and and everybody else just come there and talk about stuff. That's what I would do. Like science symposia. Yeah, but 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 without the without the officialness of it. Because I think that's that's what's causing this this uh, barrier between us and 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 you know us naturals or just researchers and, and non academics. Well, I can definitely say you both have my vote. Whenever. <laughs> Yay! So um, that brings us to the end 
of this podcast episode. But before you leave, Erica, Stephanie, would you like to meet the members of the new Science Basement podcast team? Absolutely. Of course. And here they are. Hi, I'm Eleana, an Academy of Finland postdoctoral researcher in solar and space physics at the University of Helsinki, and I will be one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Tomas. I'm a master's student in neuroscience at the University of Helsinki. I will be one of your hosts and editors at the TSB podcast. Hi, I'm Katja, a neuroscience master's student at the University of Helsinki, and I will be one of the hosts and the social media wizard for the podcast. Hi, I am Elmo, an MD-PhD student at the University of Helsinki, studying population genetics, and I'll be one of the editors of the podcast. Hi, I'm Cecilia, and I'm a PhD student in neuroscience at the University of Helsinki, and one of the editors of the podcast. Thanks, guys. You'll hear a lot more from them in the next episodes, where we'll be interviewing PhD students and young scientists from all the possible fields of human knowledge, and hopefully from all corners of the world. Although the world doesn't really have corners. But anyway, uh, Erika, can you confirm me the world doesn't have corners? Uh, yes, last time I checked was very round. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Erika and Stephanie, for, for joining us today. It was, it was just lovely to hear from you. And thank you to all our wonderful listeners. This was the Science Basement Podcast. I'm Giuliano. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. If you liked this episode, give it a thumbs up, rate us on the podcasting app of your choice, and don't forget to share it with your friends. This podcast was produced by The Science Basement, a science communication organization based in Helsinki, Finland. If you're interested in getting involved or being interviewed, get in touch at podcast at thesciencebasement.org.